Okay, I know what you may be thinking. Wait, what? Why is Wes behind the pulpit? Where's his guitar? Is he gonna sing for us for 30 minutes straight? Okay, well here's the backstory behind why I'm preaching today. So Pastor Dave, our lead pastor, and I had this deal before he left for sabbatical. I said I would be willing to preach a sermon if he would be willing to lead a whole worship set by himself. So here I am doing my part of the deal, today preaching a sermon, but guess who gets back next weekend? You guessed it, Pastor Dave. And guess who's leading the worship set, whether he knows it or not? Pastor Dave. Okay, you caught me. I may have just made up that whole conversation, but I'm sure he would love that kind of welcome back, don't you think? Well, today we are continuing on in our Psalm 23 series as we look at uh, verse 5, part 2. Pastor Nathan tackled, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies last week. And today we are looking at the part of verse 5 that says, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So if you were like me when I first read this verse, I was a bit confused. Pouring oil on someone's head to me sounded like a prank that I would do to one of my siblings as the youngest child in the family. Are there any youngest siblings watching here today? Um, well, if you are, then you can understand why I would do that. <laughs> but after some digging, I realized it was so much more than some childish scheme. What we are seeing in this part of Psalm 23 are images of what would happen when a distinguished guest would enter someone's home in the biblical time. So as I use words to describe this greeting, I want you to take a second just to close your eyes and try and picture what this would be like. As the guest would enter the home of the host, a servant in the home would instantly come and wash their feet. Once their feet were dried and sandals put away, the host would come and greet them with a kiss on the cheek. The host would then grab an animal horn that was filled with oil and begin to pour it over the guest's head. Later in the evening, wine would be served, and the host would intentionally pour wine into the guest's glass until it was overflowing. All right, you can go ahead and open your eyes again now. But sometimes we miss the beauty of a moment when it takes place in a context that is different from our own. So an example of this is when I lived in Southeast Asia for eight months, helping long-term missionaries with church planting. After my two teammates and I hiked for three hours in the blazing, humid Southeast Asian heat, we finally reached the village where we were going to stay at for a week. And wow, we were so hungry and so thirsty. But when dinner time came uh, around, we saw that they were preparing pig and it smelled delicious. It smelled like a barbecue was happening. And I was so ready for something like bacon or baby back ribs or pork tacos or shish kebabs. However, when we sat across, when we, sorry, when we sat cross-legged on the floor around a short table like you do in Southeast Asia, we were ready to dive in. I was a little bit confused when I saw what was actually placed in front of me. What I saw was, and I'll never forget this, a bowl of rice that was topped with nothing else but chunks of pork fat on top. You heard me right, pork fat, no meat. But knowing that it would be extremely offensive in that culture to deny any food offered, 
my teammates and I proceeded to eat every last chunk of pork fat. But here is what I would have missed if it was not for our incredible translator. She told us later that what they served us that night was a delicacy in that culture. In their context, they gave us the best part of the pig and they intentionally only served it to myself and my two teammates because they wanted us to know that we were welcome in their home and in their village and they wanted to lavish us with their best hospitality. When I found that out, I was really moved because isn't that just beautiful? And in the same way, I don't want us to miss what is going on in Psalm 23. So I'm going to briefly break down the cultural context of these visuals, but then camp out on the two that we see in Psalm 23. For those who don't know, I actually went to school for intercultural studies, so I love this kind of stuff. So bear with me for just a moment. So the washing of the feet. Due to the fact that people wore sandals in a dry and sandy location, people's feet would be filthy. Their feet were instantly washed as an act of kindness and service to this guest. The kiss. This kiss the host gave the guest communicated welcome and friendship. This is like a hug or a handshake in that culture. The pouring of the oil is the host communicating that it is my pleasure to have you in my home. You are my guest. I am your host. And these few drops of oil on your head speak to you that this home is your home. And as long as you are in this home, the protection of it is yours. Before any harm can come to you, it must first touch me. So we see this also in Luke 7, where the Pharisee hosted Jesus and did not give Jesus water for his feet. He did not greet him with a kiss and did not anoint his head with oil. So a woman from the street saw this lack of respect for who she knew to be a rabbi or teacher and used her tears to wash Jesus' feet. She kissed and anointed his feet with perfume. Lastly, the cup. Finally, as you saw, the host would then fill their cup with wine later in the evening to overflowing. And this was to communicate that while they remained there, they should have an abundance of everything. So you may be asking, what does this imagery, specifically the oil and cup, actually mean to David? Well, David is expressing that God has revealed himself as his host and David as God's distinguished guest in the house of the Lord. Up until this verse, David was seeing himself as a sheep and God as his shepherd. But now David is a guest at the table of which the Lord was the host. Through this, the Lord revealed to David God's heart for him. A quote that we read from the Colson's commentary reads, Oh, if we could appreciate the heart of God, we would then understand that his chief desire is to have communion and fellowship with us. There is nothing in all the world that he loves so much to do as to set a table before us and welcome us into his own presence and provide us with the bounties of heaven. The creations of the world and world systems is comparatively nothing, nothing alongside the joy that God has in being our host and having us as his guests, end quote. Okay, but you still might be thinking now, well, that was really nice that David got to experience God that way, but how is that relevant to me today? What does this oil and cup thing mean for me now in 2023? Well, I would argue 
that we have experienced these two metaphors abundantly more than even David has since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So first, let's talk about the oil. And I love visuals, so here's something I brought in. Oil. So as we just heard, David was anointing, anointed with oil which revealed God as his host. The ultimate expression of this anointing that we see in the New Testament is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. When Jesus walked this earth, he is shown in Matthew 3, 13 to 17, first being baptized by the apostle John, and then after this significant event, it is recorded that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And in Acts 10, 38, this event is described as the moment how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, devil because God was with him. In this moment, Jesus was anointed by his heavenly Father's most precious and beautiful oil, and that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So after this anointing, the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. This anointing and the voice of God both announce unconditional love and precious identity over Jesus, the Son of God. So here's maybe a little story that might help understand this. So my wife and I were training for a long distance run. She's doing a half marathon and I'm training for a 10 kilometer run. And yes, I know my wife is insanely fit and I'm a pastor and I will honestly be surprised if I even finish three kilometers. But my wife has this Nike app on her phone and there's this overly muscular personal trainer that cheers her on while she runs. And don't worry, I'm secure in who I am. But as she runs, this guy gives her tips, encouragement, and advice for how she's running. But imagine if this Nike training coach dude came to Jess while she was tying up her shoes, getting ready for her first training session ever. And then that's when he said, wow, Jess, I'm so pleased with you. You did so well. I am so proud of you. Your form was killer. Great job out there. Keep it up. You are my best running student. Would that make sense? No, it wouldn't because she hadn't even started the training for the run. He hadn't seen what she was capable of. But for Jesus, God, his father, was pleased not with what he did for God, but who he was because of God. He was God's son, and Jesus' identity as God's son is what God, his father, delighted in, not in his performance or in his ministry. And that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit that spoke identity, love, and truth over Jesus is also available to us today. And many scriptures show us this, but here is one from Romans 8, 15 and 17 that has been really meaningful to me over the past um, four to five years. It says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to, to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what does the anointing of the Holy Spirit mean for us today in relation to Psalm 23? Well, the anointing of the Holy Spirit says, 
the Lord is our fatherly host. I'll say that one more time. The Lord is our fatherly host. If you have put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to you and screams inside of your heart, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. Before you did anything to earn or deserve it, unconditional love. So, to recap, I, I feel like I need that right now. So, we see that the anointing of oil for David revealed God as his host and David as his distinguished guest. The anointing of the Holy Spirit on Jesus affirmed that God as his father and Jesus as the son of God. The anointing of God's most precious oil, the Holy Spirit on us today, reveals the Lord not just as host, but as our fatherly host who delights in his children. So what's the difference between David's experience with God as host and our experience with God as our fatherly host? Well, here's a story of one of my best friends who just became a dad a few months ago that hopefully helps capture the difference. Parenting is the greatest gift I could ever receive. The opportunity to take how I was raised, take the greatest parts of that, and try my very best to provide a safe place for my son is incredible. Becoming a father has given me new insight into how God must feel about me. He gets in the dirt with me. The creator of the universe sits with me and shows me the beautiful things that he has created for me to enjoy. He lets me see how he sees me. When I look at Milo as he laughs, cries, explores, I feel so deeply towards him that it's hard to describe. And when I think about how small I am, and how big God is, it's humbling to realize that what I'm feeling towards my son is the tiniest fraction of how God feels about me. Well, Jaden, if you're watching this, just want to say thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I know the first time I watched that, as Lyndon would say, I had some leaking eyeballs. <laughs> But this video, I think it begs the question, how do you see God? A.W. Tozer, um, a historic theologian and author, once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So today, do you see God as a loving father who delights in his kids and would do absolutely anything for them? Or perhaps God seems distant, uninterested, and disappointed. And we all have different views and experiences of God because of our earthly experiences. So for me, even though I had two incredibly loving parents growing up who truly did delight in their kids, because I grew up in the church, over time I somehow created this image of God where he loved me when I did good. But man, was he ever disappointed in me when I messed up. I had to earn God's love, and the second I made a mistake, I would distance myself from God to hide from his disappointment. If this is how you currently see God, I want you to know that I, I get it. But also know that this is not how God sees you. He is not disappointed in you. Over time, God has truly brought healing to my view of God through prayer, 
honest conversations and through immersing myself deeper in the gospel. And for me, what I found is that when we know that God is a good father because he truly did do all that he could do to have communion with his people again. A loving father let go of his delighted son to be killed on a tree by the very people that he created, taking on every sin that ever was to exist, forever closing the chasm between humanity and God. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus then rose from the grave. He defeated death and he ascended to be with his father again so that his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, could dwell in his people and testify within our hearts that I am your father and you are my child. You are loved. So today, if you are in a place of doubting God as your father, I just want to encourage you first just to to go the gospel and, and run to the good father that we see there. Next, we want to talk about the cup. Earlier we saw that the cup of David was overflowing in Psalm 23. It was a symbol that as long as David was under Yahweh's care, he would have everything he could possibly need and more. His cup or his life was overflowing with the blessing, care, and the love of God. In John 7, the Gospel of John, we see this language of overflowing from Jesus. Starting at verse 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So get this, this is a Jewish festival where people would be full-on feasting. They would have plenty of food and plenty to drink. And on the very last day, Jesus stands up and says that if you are thirsty, come to him and drink. And you know, it struck me that Jesus said this on the very last day of the festival. And it got me thinking, this is like someone at the end of Thanksgiving dinner when everyone is on the couch in a turkey coma, you know what I'm talking about, and then stood up and said, guys, okay, I know that turkey dinner was awesome, but who's up for that new Grand Big Mac burger from McDonald's? Huh? Anyone? The thought, I mean, at least for me, would just make your stomach turn. You couldn't force any food down there if you, even if you wanted to. So in a place where people had literally everything to quench their physical hunger and thirst, Jesus is saying that nothing other than the Holy Spirit who reveals God as our fatherly host will be able to quench the thirst of your hearts and not just satisfy, but overflow from within you like rivers of living water. He's not saying, come to me and I'll give you an even better wine or beverage. He's saying, come to me and I will give you myself and it will be like a river that produces life wherever it flows. And we see this in Romans 5 as well amidst a passage talking about perseverance through suffering. We hear this beautiful sentence, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love is not a byproduct of the Holy Spirit or something to consume, but rather 
God's love is God himself poured into our hearts like rivers of living water overflowing. Our fatherly host, his greatest expression of love is him being with his people. So for David, it was not what was overflowing out of his cup that mesmerized him as it would have, as he would have had that from many people filling up his cup to overflowing because he was a king. But no, it was who he was communing with, God as his host. In the same way, we were never meant to consume the love of God, but rather commune with God who is love. And where is this God? He's in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So maybe some of you are like me right now and you just need another visual to help this sink in. And trust me, I love visuals, so I got you covered. So if this cup represents our lives and this water represents the rivers of living water, Jesus talked about being the Holy Spirit in John 7, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit communing with us and testifies that I am your fatherly host and you are my child, and I delight in you. I like you. You are welcome here in my home because I died for you and love you. And this love cannot be contained because I am love and was never meant to be contained. And yet somehow we don't believe that communion with our fatherly host is enough. So we move our cup away and seek other things that we think will. We listen to lies and get enticed by the things of this world that tell us they will fully satisfy our desires. So one more time, if this cup is our lives and this Coca-Cola represents what we think will satisfy us, maybe it's Netflix, food, alcohol, dating apps, that new iPhone, pornography, that wage bump, getting married, having kids, whatever is not communing with God will always come to an end and our leaky hearts will be left empty, longing for something eternal. So today, what are the other hosts of this world that you look to that you think will satisfy? For myself, almost 10 years of my life, I would move my cup from communion with God to the entangling snare of pornography, and it promised deep connection and satisfaction that then left me empty and destroyed. But what I found in those dark, painful, and agonizing nights was that when I turned to my fatherly host, he was still there. His presence would remind me time and time again that he still loves me and he is so much better than anything else. And through walking in the light with brothers like Nathan, who actually shared his story last week, and learning to know the power of God's love and grace, I can say that I've been walking in freedom for over two years now. And you know, I almost didn't share this part of my story, as usually I only share it in smaller settings. However, when I started typing it out, I was so moved by God's love, I felt like that I really needed to share it. And I want people to know that if you are stuck in this trap, and it feels like you can't get out, know that freedom truly is possible. And it starts by running to God with other people you trust with this part of your story and walking in the light. So what is the status of your cup today? Is it at the brim, but you can feel it draining? Or maybe it's been empty for years and you are yearning for something that would quench the thirst of your longings. 
Perhaps you're here today and your, your cup is overflowing with the love and presence of God. If you're looking for an indicator, something I found helpful in preparing for this message is asking the question, what does loving others feel like? Does it feel like work? Like you really have to conjure up the strength to share encouragement or sit with someone in their pain, for example? Or maybe you can relate to me when my cup is low, it feels like you need to put on the loving mask and then when you're alone, you can take it off and embrace your exhausted, depleted state. If you resonate with this, please do not hear guilt or condemnation because trust me, I know what it is like to have an empty cup. But please instead hear an invitation. An invitation to come to your fatherly host in desperation, longing for him to fill you with the only thing that can fill your cup to overflowing again, God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. As we know and experience God as love, the natural response is for his presence to flow out like a river to the people we encounter, bringing life wherever we go. God's presence in his church was meant to overflow to the city. So have we drifted from the, lo the love of God satisfying our hearts to overflowing? And if so, how do we position our cups or our lives to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit that pours the love of God into our hearts? You know, I think there are so many different spiritual disciplines or practices that would draw us near to God again. But the way, one that has been really meaningful for me is adoration and worship. You know, you may be thinking classic worship pastor, um, but I honestly think that when we choose to adore and worship God, we can't help but be amazed. We can't help but be drawn back to the eternal source of love, and we can't help but overflow. So here are three reasons why I think adoration is essential. So first, adoration as communing. When we worship corporately, like together on a Sunday morning, not only are God's people meeting together, but God's Holy Spirit who lives in his church is gathering together as well. And I think something really significant and powerful happens in corporate worship as Christ in me meets with Christ in you. Second, adoration as rebellion. The worship leaders and myself are going to be reading a book this fall called Living Like Monks and Praying Like Fools. And I've been kind of reading it over the summer. And this book, in this book, he explains that we need adoration as a form of prayer. He says, when you and I open our mouths and begin to pray, almost certainly another name is being hallowed or worshipped in our hearts. The names of accomplishment, success, productivity, approval from another person, comfort, easy execution of our own plans, self-will and all its destructive varieties, he goes on to say that adoration is not always the overflow of our hearts. In fact, it rarely is. It is an act of rebellion against empty promises of this world and of defiance in the face of, this, of circumstances. So we are rebelling against the other hosts of this world that say they satisfy. And in worship, we are saying, Oh God, our fatherly host, you are the only one that can satisfy. Come and fill our hearts with your presence again and let it overflow. Third and finally, adoration as prophecy, a fancy way for truth speaking. When we adore, 
and worship, we are immersing ourselves in the truth of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself regularly about what God has done through his son, Jesus. So we adore and we worship the God whose one and only son was anointed with oil for death so we could be anointed with the spirit of God for abundant life with God. We adore and worship Jesus who was drained of life on the cross so we can be filled with life to overflowing. We adore and worship the God who is our fatherly host and has welcomed us into his home as his children because his one and only child was forsaken. And we worship the God whose heart has been, is, and will always be to be with his people. So as we close, I want to encourage you to respond wherever you are by simply putting on a worship song on your phone or laptop or even head to uh, Central Heights YouTube channel and choose a song that has been meaningful to you. And as we choose to enter into worship and adoration, may we see this as a time to reposition ourselves or our cups and to be filled with the presence of God and witness his love and presence overflow to our city.